Good morning, Councillor Morgan. Uh, thank you for taking part in this. Uh, I think we all appreciate that you're giving up some of your time to, to answer these questions that have come in from listeners. Can I start by uh, relaying a question from Georgina then, who says, is Castle Inn Bridge going to reopen? Um, the existing bridge isn't going to reopen. It's actually going to be a new bridge put in. Um, I've got the latest updates uh, I can give you. So it's quite a complex situation because it's a listed structure. Uh, so we are working with CADU and it's, it's taking some time. Uh, but we're in the process of having an agreement to demolish the existing structure, to put a new bridge in. But also we are looking to see, as part of the development, we're working with NRW, who are doing some modelling of the river in application, about whether we can put a small uh, flood wall in along Cardiff Road so it also protects uh, the houses on Cardiff Road. So we're looking to do a bit of a comprehensive package, so it is demolishing the existing bridge, putting a new footbridge in. It will be a three and a half metre wide active travel bridge, so it's for cyclists and walkers. But there's also other issues where there's a uh, foul sewer which actually runs under the bridge. So we are working with Welsh Water about um, a temporary diversion before the new one goes in. So it's been quite a complex uh, piece of work, really. And, and while I've been frustrated, I'm sure other residents are saying, well, it's been 18 months now, what's happening? There's actually been a huge amount of work in the background, working with all these agencies, so that the current plan is that we'll be on site, there'll be contractors on site next spring, with the intention of demolishing the bridge and new bridge going in. So by the end of next year, there will be a new bridge in, in situation. Right. And you've had to take a lot into account. I suppose you several other bridges in the area actually are sort of listed, aren't they? And I knew you've had to, to chat about the White Bridge with Cadu. Yes. So with that one, uh, the early um, investigation report we had suggested that because of the underpinning, the scour of the, the one parapet in the river was so severe, um, the, the report we had back was that it should immediately close and we should immediately consider demolition. Um, but actually, once we got past the, the start of the year, obviously we're you know, following Storm Dennis and we got into the spring, summer, where there wasn't any more storms, divers were able to go back into the river to do a further uh, survey, specialist divers went in. And it was a marginal uh, report, but actually it, one of the options was to, to consider an underpinning uh, operation, provided the bridge was strong enough to, to withhold the work being done underneath it, and it wasn't obviously a risk of it collapsing on the workers, which ultimately we were able to do, and, and the bridge is now reopened, albeit it may have to close next year for a period of time while further works are carried out. Yes. Well, I, I'm sure uh, the, the locals, local people appreciate the fact it's reopened because it's a very useful shortcut across there. It's still got the, the weight restriction, but, I mean, it had before, didn't it, so... Yeah, so it's, it's back pretty much it was previously. Uh, we, we hope it's not, you know, people not using it as a rat run in particular, but it is a really handy link for people who live in our local area from mm. one side to the other, both pedestrians and for vehicles. Yeah. Well, let's let's change the subject. Um, now, it's about to playgrounds, this one. Jeanette is asking about playgrounds and about the equipment in them. And she says, can our playgrounds get better age-related equipment? And by this, she means that most of them are geared to under fives, apparently. But we need to get our older children from behind their screens, she says. Uh, really good question. And absolutely, you know, getting children out in the fresh air, being active is really important. Just to say, we have over 200 play areas. So it's, it's about 220 actually across from the current half. Um, it, it's not actually correct to say they are geared uh, to the under fives or majority are geared to under fives. 
uh, that isn't actually quite right based on the balance of what's installed in play areas. We've either upgraded or completely renewed uh, by the end of this year 150 of our play areas over the last five to six years because we're making huge investment in them and we try to get the right balance and while there is some or there should be some older children provision in each play area the intention is in each electoral board where there may be one two three play areas is trying to get the right balance but children should never be too far away from a play area which has uh, the right kind of equipment there for their age group but in addition to that, we, we do have, for example, um, five skate parks across from the Cantaf, and we invest in this year in renewing two of them, having complete upgrades. We've also got around a dozen muggers, and again, we've had a programme of investing in them. So it's not just about play parks, it's about trying to make sure that children have a good mix of play facilities. But I, I fully recognise this need we want to continue investing in, and my view is that every play facility should be you know, the best available for children. Thank you for that. Let's turn to a subject that we've all been preoccupied with over the last 18 months, really, and this is COVID-19. And Deborah is asking, what plan is there to curb the COVID-19 infection uh, and hospitalisation rises within RCT? And she asks this particularly because Sputty Cunnan uh, A&E has closed. That's the minor injuries unit there. That's a staffing issue, which the health board says is short term. But of course, it means that more pressure is then put onto the Prince Charles Hospital in Merthyr and the Royal Gamorgan as well. Yeah, and, and the cause of the minor injuries, it's something I've been in close contact with the health board on because I am concerned about the impact on residents from Cunnan Valley now having to go over to Prince Charles Hospital potentially because that's the next nearest hospital and they're already under significant strain over there. In terms of COVID, I know I've spoken many times on this programme and I've done a lot of media over the last 18 months. Um, I, I can say honestly, you know, I, I'm as fed up as COVID as anybody else because it takes up so much of my time in meetings and, and discussing the implications and the impact on council services. But we're not out of the pandemic uh, and I can't stress enough that while I do see some people say, well, we should just get on with our lives. Well, to a large extent, that is correct. We've got, to, you know, we've got to learn to live with COVID to a certain extent. We have to try and do as many things to get normality back into our lives. But that doesn't mean we should be you know, overly risky in what we do. So you know, a lot of the messaging is still the same. Although we're now starting to go away in the autumn and going into the winter, we should be trying to meet people outside wherever possible. We should be just being careful with good hand hygiene, wearing a mask. You know, for example, in... Even in hospitality settings, while masks are not mandatory, it's, it's still advisable. So if I was going to go into a restaurant or into a pub, I might want to wear a mask when I'm walking around and others, they all go to the toilet, etc. But of course, you know, take it off when you're sitting down and having something to eat or drink. It is still compulsory to wear shop, uh, masks in shops and on public transport. And I would really urge people, please, you know, uh, if, if you don't wear a mask or if you just say that you're exempt to not wear a mask, you're not just getting one over on you know, other people like me and others who are in the shop. It's actually putting yourself at risk. So please think carefully about, you know, if you're not exempt, then you should wear the mask where you're asked in terms of public transport shops, some of you. But there is growing pressure on the health service. And while I don't see that COVID itself would overwhelm the health service, the real concern we have is that during the, the real previous spikes of COVID, when we didn't have the vaccine, all elective surgery was stopped. That meant that uh, theatres were converted into ITU uh, centres. So we had much more ITU and ventilator capacity. Now, if we had to continue to see elective surgery continuing, because there is a real backlog. Now, I, I got people contacting me who were waiting for hip and knee operations, who in normal times 
uh, would have a, a relative weight and then get an operation where they've really been stuck in the system, it's really impacting on their lives right now. And if we end to see those operations continue, then we have to try and manage COVID in hospitals without kind of suspending all other services. And that is the real pressure point right now. If numbers continue to increase, and today, you know, when the numbers go public later, there will be over 500 cases announced for the Kuntaf Magano area. Cases alone are not the significant factor because clearly um, with a vaccine, it, it is different now. But you have to understand that if cases continue to rise and cases grow even larger than what we've seen in the past, then a lower small proportion become ill and go into hospital. A smaller proportion of a bigger number will still mean significant numbers in hospital. So I would just urge people, I, I know I probably sound like a, a broken record and sometimes I, I often think myself I sound like a broken record, but honestly, if, if the public was sitting in some of the meetings I'm in, speaking to the health board, speaking to officials, understanding the pressure that is right now across local authorities, across the health service, just try and do our little bit. It, it's up to all of us to take that extra little bit of responsibility and a bit more care when we're out and about. Speaking personally, Andrew, were you surprised when the Welsh Government didn't make it mandatory to wear face coverings indoors in hospitality settings? Because it seemed to run contrary to their general kind of, uh, I suppose, caution compared to perhaps the UK Government. And are looking at bringing them back because they've kind of abolished them on a wider level. Uh, were you surprised? Um, I suppose the difficulty is, and I can understand, but when they did announce that face coverings could be removed in in, um, social settings, in pubs and restaurants, hospitality. I suppose that was the the, the starting point, that if we were to get to full normality, that did seem the logical place to start first. Mm. However, um, if they said that in those venues you have to wear face masks, that would make it extremely difficult, for example, for other venues, such as nightclubs, um, like the table service. Somebody recently asked me, why, why can't pubs go back to using table service? Well, if they were mandated to do table service and there could be no walking around the venues and you couldn't go to the bar to order your drinks, that would, in effect, automatically shut nightclubs. So I suppose it is getting the right balance right between trying to open the economy and managing the pandemic. Mm. But clearly, the, you know, the First Minister and, and the Minister of Health take all this to, into account. And I, from my point of view, I absolutely don't want to and I don't think you know, we need a lockdown. I think that less restrictions we put on business and what we do, the better. But ultimately, that only can happen if people follow the guidance and the rules. If people, unfortunately, you know, some people just think it is all over or think that they're immune to it, um, well, I'm sorry, that is going to really impact and potentially put us all in a difficult position. So I would just re-emphasize, it's up to every one of us to play our part. Now, I was in the office to speak with colleagues, uh, the first only, uh, face-to-face meeting, because we try and do everything online if we can. But I was in the office with uh, quite a number of colleagues. And the one thing we'd done is, before we all came into the one room to have a meeting, although we were social distance, every one of us took a lateral flow test to make sure that, you know, we didn't have to do that, but it's the right thing to do to make mm. sure. There's mm. just actions like that we, we, we can all take. Yes, it's a case of finding its own level. I, I, I entirely see that. And, of course, we'll find out today from the First Minister because no leaks have occurred at all that have reached me. <laughs> so uh, we'll have to find out at quarter past 12 what he's going to do about vaccination passports, which is a highly controversial uh, potential decision, and indeed about anything else um, it, You know, after the 21-day review. So we have to wait and see on that.
yes, yeah, so I've just come from a briefing with ministers on that. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, <laughs> say anything on that until it's been released to the public later. Uh, well, I, well, I no, quite. I, I wasn't even going to ask you if you had because I, you know you can't say anyway. Okay, so we, well, the rest of us have to wait and see. Um, Turning to something else, devolution has brought quite a few changes in the way things happen. I think a lot of people were surprised to find the Welsh Government has as much power as it does at the beginning of the lockdown, really. Uh, but at the local level, there's uh, so several schools of thought, really. The government, the Welsh Government have looked at the possibility of amalgamating councils, uh, the 22 that we have, to, into less and larger ones. And of course, some people have, have said that they'd like it to go back to where it was. So RCT would be broken back up into Tafili, Rontha and Cunnan as sort of separate council areas. Would you be inclined to, you know, the merger and super council idea? Do you think that's where we're gradually going? Because the Welsh Government have had a couple of false starts on this and they've kind of drawn back from it uh, for discussions to take place and a sort of more voluntary things to happen, as far as I can see. Yeah, so it's a difficult one. And I figure to say that, you know, when I started off when I left school, I worked for kind of Valleyborough Council before then. It merged to RCT Council. And what I would say is that while maybe... Councillors now, people did have an affection for the local council at that time. They weren't the panacea, so uh, no, they weren't um, great at everything. But the difficulty is that councillors now do so much more than what they did 20 years ago. <clears throat> the demand has increased. The, the range of services has actually increased. Um, so going back to a smaller council actually you know, would put significant extra costs because you'd have to have a, a chief executive, a director of highways, a director of uh, education, public health. You would have, for example, in Rombokan attack, you'd have three of everybody. Um, but so it, the management costs actually would increase. So I wouldn't be in favour of going back to smaller councils. But what, what I am also not in favour of is large super councils in terms of becoming more distant and, and more actually detached from the public. However, there's a lot of services that can be delivered regionally. So, you know, business support, whether you're in fully Cardiff or RCT, you should be able to get the same business support. So I would be in favour, actually, of our economic teams working much closer to, uh, together on the regional footprint. Same as planning. If you put a plan application in Bridgen, East Patalba, or RCT, you should get the same service, understand the same rules. So actually doing planning on a regional footprint seems sensible. Uh, transport, for example, transport planning. Buses don't stop at the county border. So actually managing transport delivery across the region makes sense. So I think... The, some of the operational delivery would make sense to have that joined up across the, the region. But it's important that that doesn't detach from the resident. So the resident still goes to the local council, the local office or the local councillor to discuss issues because who delivers it and how it's delivered in the background, I don't think actually people care so much about. It's about actually making sure you get the service. And if you're not happy with it, you can go and complain or speak to somebody about it. And I think that's what really is key. So I, I would say looking at regional working for some areas, but local delivery for the residents. Right. Well, and we thank Gary of Hawthorne for that question. I'm not sure whether I mentioned him. Now, Andrew has brought up an issue about Treforest Industrial Estate. Of course, we've got the new DWP building there, uh, which is, you know, a lot of people are going to be going in and out of that. And he's wondering if something is going to be done about what he calls the speed traffic comes along through the estate. And when, he says, are the residents of Rida Hellig and Oxford Street going to feel safe? One of the main things that we're trying to do down there is to reduce the reliance on car um, 
car travel facing car journeys for access in the state and that's why over the last couple of years we've put a real emphasis on working with Transport for Wales and the Welsh Government to bring forward the new Trafalgar train station. So we have secured funding several times now uh, to do the various phases of work with Welsh Government uh, and Transport for Wales and that's looking at the new um, train station which is in effect would be uh, just opposite the DWP building which has been built there uh, and a new bridge across. Uh, the local authority has done a deal to secure the land. Uh, we had finance from the Welsh Government to buy it. Uh, the intention was to see that station uh, built and operational by 2025. Um, we've been working on a plan to try and bring that forward to as early as 2023 um, and potentially working on different models of funding. So there would be a new train station which would serve that estate much, much better than what it is now because the biggest problem is the existing Trafalgar train station actually is at the very top of the estate it's quite remote. Um, I think in the winter months, you know, with people and the walk back and forth the station, um, it's not an ideal situation at all. So I think the sooner we get the new train station in the centre of Trafalgar, we could potentially cut down on thousands of vehicle car journeys every day there, and that will help to, to make the roads a little bit safer. But also, Welsh Government is reviewing speed limits across the board. So as you know, they, they are looking at 20 miles per hour as the default in non um, uh, furthers. We, we've done some modification to the Central Avenue, but I know it is something that we are reviewing again. OK, so, well, that's that's very interesting. So uh, the, your answer to Andrew is you're hoping that a volume of people, particularly going to the DWP building, will be able to use the metro trains, and presumably they'll all stop, because, I mean, not all the trains stop at the halt, you know, in, in Trafalgar Industrial Strait at the moment. But the metro trains will be every sort of less than 10 minutes, actually, won't they? So if they start uh, serving that, that's really quite an efficient way to get there. Yeah, you're talking, as you say, a train at less than every 10 minutes stopping. Um, it would serve not just the DWP. If you think about uh, whole estate area, you've got the college, you've got the retail, um, you know, you've got some of the outlets, the leisure uh, venues there, like the, the uh, cinema, uh, bowlplex, the eating restaurants, etc. So there's a lot of car movements actually back and forth our estate from early in the morning to quite late at night. And I'm at a train station within easy walking distance with good access and a regular train service. That is going to be key to reduce the problem on that estate. Okay. Well, let's go up to the Rondevach now at Ferndale. George up there wants to know about plans for Darren Park in Ferndale. So the council promised the residents it would be upgraded. What's the sort of progress on that? Um, So we've done some works in the park. Um, I recall actually back probably about three or four months ago, I met with uh, Sue Morgan's the councillor with uh, Buffy Williams, the newly elected Senate member, we had done a walk around the park actually on a wet, rainy day, uh, spoke to a few residents. So we've done some investment there, simple, small things, for example, re- repainting all the benches, we kind of replaced the mugger in the in the park and had it, had it all recolor-coated. We've done some new curb edgings, um, new uh, footway resurfacing works and some improvement works to the uh, one toilet, so we need to carry out further toilet improvement works there. We're currently working with a group of anglers who are looking about the access to the lake and about how they look at the, the fishing rights, etc. We've got funding in place to put brand new changing rooms there. I think it's £150,000 we've allocated. Uh, and just to say, we're actually in the process this year of trying to replace I think, the six set of changing rooms across the county. We've done a huge amount in to play and parks over other years, concentrating mainly on infrastructure at first, such as fences, footways and the key things and then moving on to improving the condition of football fields now and now looking at changing rooms. 
the biggest problem we've had in terms of changing rooms is the COVID uh, impact. It's been so huge, first of all, in terms of supply materials and actually supply contractors. So we've had to try and tender the work twice to get contractors to do the work. But the intention is that there will be a new set of changing rooms at Darren Park. Uh, the cost is around £150,000 and it will be installed this financial year. Work actually should have started this month, but it's been delayed because of the issues, I'd say, with contractors um, uh, in terms of letting the contract. But my understanding is that we, we are still aiming to complete the work this financial year. OK. On to a question from Susan now about reinstating fitness classes at Clantwit Vardra Leisure Centre. Uh, she says, since the clubs, i.e. you know, five-a-side football and so on, have returned to the centre, we have lost a lot of our classes. Yeah, I think I think with this, I'm not I'm not 100% sure with the detail, but what it was when when the COVID restrictions were in place, then we weren't able to play a lot of the indoor sport, you know, the, of like football, etc. So um, sports centres were used in a slightly different way. So there was a lot more small classes, small groups, uh, and we tried to run things as much as possible in a slightly different way. Now that sports are, are now allowed all to come back then it does mean, obviously, that the whole space is taken up by the fiberside and other things going on there. Uh, my understanding is that the, the team in Leisure Services have been looking now around what additional classes can be put on, working around the times when the, the halls, in effect, are booked by football and other sports. So hopefully there will be some improvements in the near future, but it will we'll not be going back to where we were uh, during the, the COVID lockdown because clearly... Uh, the sports teams, which for a period of time had to suspend their activities in sports centres, have now been allowed to come back in. So it's trying to get the right balance between classes for wider residents while still trying to accommodate sports teams. But hopefully, um, your listeners, Susan, will get an update in the next week or two with the leisure centre looking to see what additional classes they can put on. I notice we've only got a couple of minutes before we have to stop for our news. I know you've got a meeting. So will you be chatting to Paul Thomas separately uh, from Anisabul about his flooding issues? Because he, he's contacted us quite a, a serious thing that does need your attention. But we haven't got time to look at that now. Um, I'm happy to give a further update on that at some point. I appreciate this time. But just to give an assurance that there is a flood investigation report ongoing. I've seen a draft of it. Um, I actually raised it this week within our W. We've had a series of meetings. I actually came to Cliff Terrace after the flood in last year and walked the river with NRW and my own highways officers. And just to say, to assure them, we're not forgetting about them, I will continue to press NRW. And actually, there's a series of further meetings that's been arranged by the local council of Sue Pickering with NRW, and I've been asked to attend. So we are on the case still. OK. OK, well, that's very helpful. Um, Alan, uh, finally, was asking about progress with flood repairs and general capital investment because it's a massive uh, job. Yeah, there's so much to cover on this. I would probably need 10 minutes alone. But what I would say to residents is that in, in this month's council meeting, we will be giving a presentation to all councillors and we will be giving some oral updates. So either look at the, the web link or look at the reports online. There is a huge amount of work that's been ongoing millions of pounds uh, last year and this year alone on flood assets. We spent £15 million on upgrading culverts, river walls, within in our ownership, etc. On top of all the bridge damage and all the other things we've been doing with separate funding, we're probably in the range of spending by the end of this year, I'd imagine, close to £30 to £35 million uh, following Storm Dennis. But the investment will continue. And I know there's lots of communities will still be saying, well, when is the culvert in my area going to be upgraded? 
all I would say is we have an extensive list. We do know about the damage and the flooding that happened in each area, and we are working through that as quickly as possible. It is going to take us a few years, mind you, to upgrade all the infrastructure to the level where I can have confidence that in a future store we, we are well-placed to deal with it. Well, it, it's being a heck of a challenge, and as you say, it's it's ongoing, and of course the funding needs to keep coming to, to help as well. But, uh, uh, Councillor Andrew Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today and answering uh, of all the listeners' questions I have on my paper here, um, at least. And I know that's not all the ones that came in, but you've, you've done your best in the time available. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye-bye.